Hello and welcome to our podcast, Jacob. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, you're joining us from Canada. And before we started recording, you told me exactly what city. Was it, wait, it was Whitby? Whitby. Yeah. And uh, what was that? Durham Region. Okay, right on. Yeah. All of our listeners from Canada and Ontario would probably know where that is. Yeah, exactly. They would. Now, Jacob was also someone that we got to know because of Brad Mills. Brad is awesome. I feel like we need to give him a shout out for every single episode that we do because so many of the guests that we have on are, are thanks to him. So thanks again, Brad. Um, and I've been following you, Jacob, since I think a, a, like more than a year. I love the stuff that you share on Instagram. And a couple months ago, probably six months ago, you started OneBitcoin.ca or OneBitcoin. Yep. Tell us about that. Um, well, it's been work in progress for a, quite a bit longer than that. Uh, I went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as most people do, got obsessed with it, annoyed my family and friends with always wanting to talk about it. Um, I'm a real estate agent by trade for 15 years, and I just said to myself, well, if I like talking about it so much, why not create a service for it? Because it, it just needs it for the marketplace. And so um, my cousin, who's the actual person who initially got me into Bitcoin, him and I used to always chat on the phone and then we just kept talking about different ideas, things we would do. And then that's where one Bitcoin came from. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a maximalist, not in the sense where we don't feel the need that there's any other coins out there. There's going to be other assets. We believe that there's going to be a whole bunch of other stuff. However, it's my opinion that 99% of the population needs to just focus on Bitcoin for now to at least get an understanding of what this is, the freedoms it brings you and all the benefits it has before they start exploring other things. So, we're more of an on-ramp for a lot of people who normally wouldn't get into Bitcoin. You know, our average client is anywhere from 35 to 55 years old right now. Somebody who's not too technically involved. But anyways, we're just working on a bunch of services and trying to educate the public as to what Bitcoin actually is and refute a lot of the FUD that we hear so often that just makes no sense and people still parrot it daily. So I love I love the the shares that you do on your Instagram story and more than more so I like the commentary or the comments that you post on there because they're so real. So right. anybody and everybody listening while you're listening to this podcast, go follow Jacob on Instagram because he posts things that are just so refreshing and can give you tidbits about Bitcoin every single day. Appreciate that. Uh, what's your Instagram handle? Just so that people can remember uh, it right in the beginning. Sold by Jacob. Sold by Jacob. It's my okay. old real estate awesome. handle that I've just kind of, it's turned into a Bitcoin page, but it was initially my real estate, uh, real estate page. And, uh, and you said that your cousin got you into Bitcoin. How long ago was that? Uh, he brought it up to me maybe six, seven years ago, but I, of course, arrogantly laughed at him and told him he's going to lose all his money and this magic internet money. And um, he actually showed me when it was Satoshi Dice. I, I couldn't comprehend what it was, but he showed me how he was gambling and sending money or Bitcoin for the gambling site, and it just still didn't click. And then thank God for YouTube's um, algorithm, because after I met with him that weekend, Andreas's videos kept popping up in my YouTube feed. And then I said, okay, you know, YouTube wants me to check this out. So I started watching Andreas, and then that's when I just went just right down the rabbit hole. Andreas Antonopoulos, Keegan, wasn't that um, something you like you read the Internet of Money? And I remember when I got into Bitcoin, I, actually, I got into Bitcoin through blockchain. But uh, you asked me to listen to a lot of Andreas at that time. 
Well, he was the one that introduced me as well. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast in something like 2013 and 2014, um, three times actually. And for whatever reason, since then, like he he hasn't had anyone on to to talk about Bitcoin, which is kind of surprising. But yeah, he gave a really good and in-depth overview, uh, Andreas, that is, of, of Bitcoin. Um, and then, yeah, later I, I read his book. It's, he's um, kind of like one of those nerdy folk, right? So at the same time that you're listening to him, you're like, oh, I still want this to be a little bit more approachable, which which kind of came later in like 2018, 2019, 2020. Uh, a lot of like more approachable folk came came to the space and started breaking it down. And like people like you, Jacob, uh, would take the things like I'm just looking at one Bitcoin. I see a lot of stuff uh, that's like pretty commonly found on other uh, like like Breedlove, for example, like the six properties of money and all that stuff is on the website. It's like it's great. That's like foundational knowledge for learning about what money is in general. Um, but it, I didn't find that that really came out until kind of recently, in just the last two or three years, uh, people like Bitcoiners specifically started to gain a lot of competence in, in the way that they articulate um, what money is and then what Bitcoin is to the average individual. And everyone doing that kind of, I, I suppose if we're in the habit of patting ourselves on the back, we should, <laughs> we're going to do that. <laughs> Uh, I agree. Like, and the thing is, for me, I thought Andreas's explanation was really good. So I would send it to all my friends and family, and they'd be like, "What is? What does this mean? Like, it's, it's just gibberish." And I'm like, "He's, he's it's, it's amazing. It's the greatest invention ever." And I just, I couldn't believe that they couldn't. Like, why wasn't it clicking for them? And so I've just myself as well, and I'm just seeing other Bitcoiners explain it. I'm just always trying to dilute, like not dilute it, but like really just give it to them in 30 second answers. And that was really what came down to sales as well for me was able to, you know answers somebody's objection in 15 to 30 seconds. If you can't explain it in that short of a time frame, obviously we can dive deeper and go into details, but you're going to have a hard time explaining it to somebody. And again, most of the detractors for Bitcoin have the same four to six objections. Nothing creative. Right. It's nothing. They've all spent less than 10 hours reading on this asset, but they all feel like they know the answers. So it's um, illegal. Government's going to shut it down. Uh, only drug dealers and uh, terrorists use, you know, this bad for the environment. And then you're like, but you have, if you research each of these, you're going to find out that nothing can be further from the truth, but that's what we're here for. We're trying to get the word out. Right. Why do you think that is though? Because I think that um, any other Bitcoin that we talk to there, there's always a, a common thread of it just clicked for me. And then I was wondering why the people that I wanted to talk to about this and I wanted everyone to be on the same train as I was, it just wasn't clicking. And I was wondering why. Um, and you know, I think that this is, this is the case in many friend circles and like many bubbles or circles of people that become Bitcoiners. Um, so I, I really wonder, you know, I guess what, what do you think it was in your philosophy and your understanding of money that made you understand Jacob that, okay, this just clicks, especially because like you said, when your cousin introduced you to it, you, you told them that, Oh, like you're going to lose all of your money, get out of it, et cetera. So, you know, what changed? Um, well, I think, first of all, I don't think there's a single person on earth that has heard about Bitcoin and thought it was a great idea right from the offset. I think everyone's initial reaction is just like, we're so hesitant. Everybody's worried about scams. You have to be you know, cautious these days. So everyone's going to automatically just downplay it. My experience is a little bit different because I, I grew up as a kid. We didn't grow, well, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So I was obsessed with money. So I taught myself a lot. I learned how to read the back of a stock table at 14 years old. I, 18 years old, I opened up my first Waterhouse account. So there weren't a lot of like, my friends weren't, didn't have the same interests as I did. And uh, the fact that I was in sales for so long. So I had a bunch of different 
aspects of my life that really led me to this place. For me, the main life experience that I'd had is I was young. I wasn't smart with my money. I was making good money as a real estate agent, but I wasn't being smart with the taxes. Had to owe the government a sum of money. Uh, it was $8,000. I spoke to my government tax guy and I said, look, I'm going to make you the, I'm gonna make the payments. So I made two payments, 4,000 and 4,000. I had it all set up. So I went to the bank the first time, made my $4,000 payment, have the receipt, went about my life. Four weeks later, made the second one. I'm done. I'm thinking my bank, you know, government taxes have been paid. I'm at the grocery store. Of course, it's got to be the day where I'm going crazy with groceries. I've got a full cart. She's running everything in. Bill was like maybe a few hundred bucks. And I went to go pay and it says insufficient funds. I'm like, I'm blown away. This doesn't make sense. What do you mean? So I had to pull the whole, like, I'm sorry. I had to move to the side. She had to put everybody on hold. The cart, you know, the, everything's full of food. And I called my bank and they just nonchalantly go, oh yeah, we've had a received the letter from the government to put a hold on, on your funds because you have an amount owing. Long story short, after six weeks, we actually realized that the um, teller on the first payment put in the wrong number. My social, uh, my SIN number, they put the wrong digit, one digit. And so my $4,000 payment went into the ether just floating around. I couldn't get access to my own funds until the government sent them a letter to the bank to tell them, yeah, he can have access to his money. So at that point, I had already realized just how click of a button, you don't exist. Everything got rectified, right. but their callousness of like, I'm like, guys, I have a mortgage payment. I have car payments. I have, so I have employees to pay. I, I don't owe you money. I paid it. And they're like, yeah, but this is just a mistake. You know, you should have caught it. Don't they ask you to verify your information when you're making a payment? And at the end of the day, after about six weeks, everything got rectified, but it was a very, it was a really rude awakening for me. And I, that happened in my early twenties. So then after that, I've always been a little bit, um, suspicious of them. So then it, it just kind of made more sense when I found out, oh, an asset nobody can control, that can, nobody can censor you. And I was like, that, that's got value to it. Yeah, wow. that story that is... is actually very topical right now as well. Uh, just with like the Emergencies Act in Canada for context for our listeners. Um, yep. That's uh, like the, the Prime Minister of Canada just called in an emergency, uh, enacted this thing that's for the first time since 1988, and the finance minister went on to explain that um, they're broadening the scope of the anti-money laundering and terrorist funding uh, to include crowdfunding platforms. And it's like, OK, put that aside, regardless of what you like, how you think of the convoy and what you believe. Um, like one of the implications of that is that the bank simply needs to suspect you of, uh, of aiding or helping the convoy in any way, shape or form. And they can freeze or seize your bank account and be free of civil liability. And it's like, okay, well, I have no recourse to like if they just freeze my bank account for two months, like my corporate account or my personal account. And for you, it was just human error. Um, and then they were like, oh, but it's your fault for not checking. Yeah. And now it's I like that's the, we're going through something similar where it's going to be your fault for like maybe liking that one post on Facebook. Like we don't exactly know to what extent. Um, the government will hold people uh, accountable for uh, for their likes or their transactions online, and and so like uh, like Murgaki and I are giving a little pause at the moment, just uh, just with this emergencies act thing. Uh, do you want to add something there? Well, I well, it's such a like you said, it's topical, not simply because of the experience I just shared, but Keegan and I were talking about it just last night and today because we own a business where we pay some of our contractors in Bitcoin. And it's just 
way easier to pay them because they're all over the world. Um, and we pay ourselves in Bitcoin. You know, we're a Bitcoin, we're a Bitcoin company. And uh, what does suspicion mean? It's so ambiguous the way that they've yeah. stated it. And Jacob, like, have you already started facing things or are you facing some of the fears because of this? Um, no, I'm actually looking at this as a huge opportunity. Uh, I'm an optimist and I'm very grateful for Trudeau to come out and do what he did because it just showed. I, my main worry with Canada was we were in such a state of financial privilege that they didn't understand the need for uncensorable money. That we were going to be the last to adopt it because every time I would talk to them, well, our government system, our banking system is fine. It's, and like, it's okay, it's workable, but it's better than the majority of the world, but it's still shit. It's still like, it's still garbage <laughs> right. in the sense. That's that important to mention. You know, like, so it's like, I was worried that we were going to be the last to adopt it because everyone thought everything was fine. And he came out and did us a huge favor and it's showing everyone the, the necessity for an uncensorable money. So I like, I'm, he, he deserves employee of the month for one Bitcoin because my calls have gone crazy over the last few days since he did this because people were like, holy shit, man, you weren't kidding. Like this, this is really serious. Cause even people who aren't even centrist support, who aren't even supporting the truckers or whatever it is are understanding this is scary. This is not a democratic free leader. This is like the veil has kind of come off and he's showing us who he is and how they operate. And not just him, the system. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for him, to be honest with you. It's, it's not, well, Keegan, you recently wrote a letter, well, just yesterday, you published a letter called Bitcoin will be politicized. And even though the people that are already protesting see this as a threat to their livelihood, they, well, they were putting themselves in a, in a in a place of being threatened in the first place because of what they believe in. But what I wonder is, uh, there's already a political divide in in Canada, and I guess in I, a lot of countries, especially democratic countries, the left and the right, conservatives and the liberals. And with the Emergencies Act, what I'm afraid of is that people who don't hold the same beliefs as what the truckers stand for, are they going to start blaming the truckers if they are the ones that uh, are under scrutiny of the government for getting their bank account frozen because the bank suspected someone who wasn't supporting the protest uh, and froze their bank account. And, you know, what's there, you know, Canada is already divided. There's already um, like the unvaxxed people and the vax people and the people that support the convoy and those that don't support the convoy. They're, they're far right. And then whatever the, the opposite of that is. And like with of Canada being divided further and further because of these political agendas. I really wonder what this is going to do for Bitcoin in general, because Bitcoin now is becoming the money that um, is funding the protests. And hence, this is why Bitcoin should be banned or Bitcoin is like the far right money for the far right. And, you know, this is what worries me. And I, at the end of the day, Bitcoin doesn't care. But the rest of the world that the whole Bitcoin is not going to care. It really is whether or not this makes it difficult for Bitcoiners living in Canada to hold Bitcoin and be able to use it for their businesses and for their everyday expenditures. I agree with that. I think that there's going to be a lot of stigma. Like, look, I've got some really smart people that ask me questions that are still not Bitcoiners, but they always ask questions, which I love. It means they're, they're opening dialogue. And I'm okay with that. And a lot of times like, it's just, it's not, palatable for me because of the stigma, terrorism, illegal stuff. And at the end of the day, everything is good for Bitcoin. If you are going to prevent yourself from seeing the, like criminals use the internet. So if you're going to say, oh no, I, I couldn't use the internet, bad people use it. Well, you're not going to make it. Step aside, I don't have time to talk to you anymore. 
I'm at a point now where it's like, you have the right not to deal with Bitcoin. I respect your right. Keep buying your CBDCs. Go put all your money in GICs and T-bills and wait for your pension that the government's going to give you. And you're going to be in uh, great shape. Just trust the government for sure. For anybody else that's actually looking at saying, hey, something doesn't make sense. It's enough of this party politics. I'm not a party guy. I don't like Ford just as much as I don't like Trudeau. I think that they're just opposite shoes of the same body, right? Like for me, what the thing that blew me away was like all these nurses are complaining about truckers. I just, I don't know if you guys have heard about Bill 124 in Ontario. I just found out about this. Apparently it's been happening for two years. The government of Ontario came out and stated that nurses cannot get a raise more than 1% a year for the next three years. This was pushed through. This is actually legal law right now. Doug Ford made this go through. So we're living in an era where our, the backbone of our healthcare is not allowed to expect more than 1% raise. So technically, they're expected to pay money to operate on an annual basis. They're literally losing money to inflation with the government's numbers. And they're going to talk about a monetary. It's like, you focus on your own stuff. Look at how crazy shit is back home and like what is happening before you start telling me about how Bitcoin is bad for us. Bitcoin is your only beacon of light. Educate yourself first. And if you don't want to deal with it because you don't feel comfortable with it, God bless. If the government wants to come out and tell me I'm a terrorist or I'm doing something wrong because I'm educating people on Bitcoin, feel free to bring it. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I've been in it for five years. I'm not worried about them shutting my bank accounts. They've shut them down before and I've, we've existed. I'm not worried about them anymore. And we have to yeah. understand that yeah, we, this, we've this been Bitcoiners we for like, we've been Bitcoiners for like five or six or seven years now and we haven't killed anyone yet. So um, like, I don't feel like a terrorist or, right. or a right winger. <laughs> but hey, if the government's going to leave, I was a centrist my whole life growing up. I voted Trudeau when he was legalizing weed. Like I've been a pretty center guy. And now I'm like, how did I just get pushed to the far right? Because I don't think the government should control our money or has the right to just tell us. To stay. Like it just, it's mind boggling where it's going. And again, we're those crazy Bitcoin people, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, it goes back to Bitcoin, change the money or fix the money, fix the world. And that's why now when everyone complains about their political leader or this, I go look into Bitcoin. Like, I, I can't tell you anything else. Look into Bitcoin. And if you're interested in talking about it, then we'll talk. But that's the answer for everybody. It's just they don't understand it. And it's sad when they are so scared of it, when this is their actual, this is their lifeboat. You said that you've had ex more multiple experiences before. I remember you talking about it um, in one of your stories. Was your bank account recently censored again? Yeah, yeah. Tell I us about that. Out. I got closed down by one of the big five banks. Um, it was, I, I was expecting it. We had, we had a lot of like, when I naively, when I opened up my uh, one Bitcoin company, I went to all the banks. I was like, yeah, I would like to open up a bank account. Like, what's your business? I'm like, oh, we're a money service business and we're, we sell Bitcoin. And they just look at me like I'm an idiot. And they'd be like, no. And they just say no to the file and tell us to get lost. And then I'm like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't tell them that I'm on their competition. So we've had to come up with creative ways to just open up accounts. Um, but we just knew they were going to catch on. We are in the works of getting like an official Bitcoin-based account. So we're taking care of it. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, one of the big five banks just sent us, sent us a letter and said, uh, what you're involved in is not something that we would like to be part of. And we're parting ways. Wow. So, yeah. You, I can't say your optimism because even while you're telling us the story, you don't seem defeated. And even in your Instagram story, there, there was something that happened. Oh yeah, you got a message from someone saying, uh, "Thank you for introducing me to Bitcoin," and that was um, like 
telling you that I remember seeing that chain of thought that, you know, on the one hand, this is how my day is going. And then on the other, this is what keeps me going is people messaging me saying, thank you for introducing me to Bitcoin. Oh, it's look at the end of the day. Like I remember when I first told uh, my wife, she's like, Oh, like, I'm so sorry. Like, cause it sucks. Like your bank account shutting you down. But at the end of the day, when you keep it in mind that you're literally creating or not creating, but like you're involved in sharing something that's going to eat them from the inside. I understand like their rent seeking ways are over. Like they're not like they're still peaked, but they're going to be contracting over the next decade. Like we're going to see the, the banks are walking dinosaurs. So for me, I'm just laughing because I'm in a Bitcoin world and everyone I'm engaging with is still in the fiat world. And I'm always trying to just talk to engage with people and say, Hey, look, there are options. And I know it sounds very, uh, people say it sounds culty, but it's like, for me, it's just educating them to at least have 0.1% exposure. And everything else is their own journey. You're going to find your own needs. You're going to find the use cases. But uh, I'm optimistic because I get to wake up and talk to people about Bitcoin. Like, <laughs> uh, what am I going to complain about? You know what I mean? Like, I <laughs> That's the greatest job in the world. It's <laughs> the greatest job in the world. Right? And when people tell me, man, like, I really appreciate that thing you said that really made me understand Bitcoin, that is more valuable to me than anything else like i i have not kept one sales award in my 15 years in my office i don't care i think it's the corniest thing when people put their awards like 1998 of like top three agents but i get it people do their own thing but for me the thing that matters most is i have my rejection letter from uh, the bank that i'll be i'll be keeping in framing and then also the messages people send me like that means more to me than i could, anything anybody could ever imagine so i'm very lucky to be able to do what i do I want to Thank zoom you in for doing what you do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, like just zooming in on on one of the things that's just the censorship of bank accounts in general. Like, I don't think there's enough focus or conversation around like what that actually does to a person or what they can do to a person. Like, you're you're actually depriving them of the ability to spend money, and money just happens to be the thing that you use to buy everything, including food, including your bills, your electricity, your heat in the middle of winter, uh, your firewood, um, like everything that you that sustains your life, your family's life is connected to your bank account, and so. Like this is one of the reasons why I'm I'm taking the whole uh, the finance minister's position pretty seriously because oh like the the last, the last thing she said was so hilarious Margaret you need to cover for me just for a second um, while I go and like pull up the quote um, and you guys can talk about how wrong it is to censor bank accounts because it's it's kind of a human rights issue um, and then I'll, I'll get back to you in a second. Have you had more than two experiences? Because Keegan and I have, like, I remember we wrote, uh, Keegan wrote a letter on the three triggers that let us to leave banking behind. And, and one of them was, I think the biggest one was when we wanted to send um, an amount, um, a pretty large amount to, um, like, a, a, what do we call it, a credit union. But the credit union associated with our account on crack in the exchange, and it was to buy Bitcoin with. And uh, for whatever reason, at that point, when we were at the teller, the, the teller asked, okay, what is this for? And because it had never happened before, we said to, it's to buy cryptocurrency. Uh, and then the teller, like before she even took the card back or asked any more questions, she, like gave it back. She's like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And we were stunned at that point. Like just, uh, it was how, how do you react to someone telling you, you can't do what you want with your money? And it was like, what do you mean? 
that you can't transfer my money out of my bank account. And they were just like, sorry, we, we don't deal with cryptocurrencies. And <laughs> it was like, we, we didn't put up a fuss. We kind of just came home and then and went to another branch and did it anyway. Just, we weren't asked that question. And well, this is a tip for anyone listening to this podcast. If this ever happens, you go to a different branch and hopefully they haven't flagged your account. But that was a pretty shocking experience. And that's what we were just like, we, we got to opt out. This has to be the end. I actually had another bank account shut down years ago when I was first brand new into Bitcoin. And I was just sending money. I was trying like getting my hands on, like whether it was wiring, whether it's uh, local Bitcoin, whatever, peer to peer. But there's a lot of activity in my account and they shut it down. And I went to the branch and I said, why do you guys shut my account down? And they go, well, we found out you're dealing in crypto and uh, we're here to protect you. And that was the angle they took where yeah. they're protecting me. And I said, I'm like, because again, guys, I've made a lot of mistakes. I grew up in, as a real estate agent from a very young age. Uh, I remember 22, 23 years old, New Year's Eve, I ended up spending, uh, I got drunk and I ended up spending my payroll at the casino in Niagara Falls. Again, my fault, 100% ownership of my mistakes. But it was like, you guys weren't there preventing me at four o'clock in the morning, blackout drunk, withdrawing my own money to gamble, but you're going to prevent me from buying a, the most amazing asset because you're protecting me. But then the day they just they know it's not good for business and they're they're relevant now they're honestly just walking dinosaurs at this point that's it and the rest of the world just hasn't caught up with it yet amazing did you find what uh uh miss freeland said yes yes miss freeland says um oh sorry wait how are we supposed to address uh members of the, the parliament i don't really want there to be backlash because we're not minister freeland them. Ms. Minister, Finance Minister Christia Freeland, um, she okay. says uh, the, the Canadian economy, and I'm like just taking this, I am taking this out of context for full disclosure, like you can go and read my newsletter for the whole thing, I transcribe everything she said, um, but like the last two sentences, the Canadian economy needs them to be doing legitimate work, them being um, truckers, not to be um, illegally making us all poorer, which I thought was quite the, the piece of irony because uh, like the the Bank of Canada with their inflation and their money printing right now is making us all poor, but they're they're legally doing that, right? So when you right. legally make us all poor, that's okay. But when someone else elite, illegally makes us all poor, like, no, 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 that's, that's not okay. I, so I just thought it was a very hypocritical thing to be coming out of the finance minister's mouth. Um, and I think uh, Pierre Pauli, how do you say his last name? Pierre Pauli Polivier, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was on Robert Breedlove's podcast recently and he actually pointed to all of the excessive money printing and taking on of debt that the government of Canada is doing right now. And uh, his position is that it's actually illegal that, that like what they've done. And I think that's because of uh, like the debt ceiling and the rate of expansion. And they're not allowed to do that as quickly as they did. Um, and, and so like, I think he's got like a vector of attack. And then there is this lawsuit from a gentleman from Newfoundland, a lawyer, a finance, I think he was an ex-finance minister and he's suing the government of Canada. Mm -hmm. I, I might be wrong on a couple of details there, but uh, like very interesting things taking place right now, leading to what seems to be a crumbling of the current uh, Canadian uh, members of parliament or not members of parliament, but cabinet, the, the prime minister and his cabinet. I don't know. Definitely we'll the financial right. ecosystem. Yes, definitely the financial ecosystem. That, that much we can agree on. But well, can we? 
because the majority of the population <laughs> doesn't think there's an issue, right? People are still, you know, again, I'm, I'm a real estate agent, so I still have, sell and buy homes for our clients in the area. And, um, you know, the prices my clients are paying for these days makes me sick because it's just like we're in the middle of a pandemic and yet real estate values have jumped 30% annually. Real estate is supposed to be a, a store of value, which is not going to be too volatile. Just because it has volatility to the upside doesn't mean it's a good thing. It means it's volatile and there's going to be a day where we're going to see volatility to the downside. And it's just people still can't understand. They just think it's a supply issue or it's just the fact that we don't have enough homes. People don't understand how bad our financial situation is as a country, how broke we are as a country. And it keeps just blaming the other party because they're the ones that are, you know, one person saying we need to raise minimum wage to 1550 and the other one saying $16. Meanwhile, inflation is going up 30% uh, for homes. And, you know, real estate's getting farther and farther away as a possibility for a very large amount of the population, which really makes me sad. Including us, by the way. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been trying to get into a home for the last like three or four years. But uh, every time we go to the bank, we either get refused for a mortgage because they don't accept cryptocurrencies as collateral, right? When they're like, write down your assets. We're like, okay, we've yep. got this much Bitcoin. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's enough, but we don't accept that as valid collateral. No, so well, you can't the last time, home. the last time we went to the bank for that, they were like, "Well, can you sell it all?" <laughs> we were just like, "I mean, we could, but we're not gonna." And then right. uh, the guy, the guy was like, "No, you have to sell it all, and then we can accept." It. Well, first he was like, "Can you sell it for Canadian dollar?" And we we're like, "Yes." And then he said. You're going to have to sell it all for Canadian dollar and then we can accept that as well, a cash asset, really not uh, a common commodity. But we were like, okay, no. And I think, Keegan, after that last conversation we had with the, the mortgage person, I, I was just like, we're not going to do this through the bank. There's no way I'm comfortable getting money from the bank at this point. So I'm glad you said something because we're actually just launching it. Like, I think we'll take people live on, the, on one Bitcoin. But we, we're actually launching a OneBitcoin.ca real estate and mortgage division. So that's going to streamline and help people who, A, want to pay Bitcoin to buy a home. We're going to be that facilitator. It's a lot more work in the back end, but it's going to be a lot more streamlined for the client. If you're selling your home and you want to get paid out the remainder of Bitcoin, we're going to be able to help you do that. So that's on the sales side. And for the financing side, uh, one of my closest friends is a mortgage rep, and she's been orange-pilled consistently for the last five years. And so now we have lenders who are willing to deal with people who want to use Bitcoin as a down payment. So financing is going to be a little bit more available for people in Canada over the next few months if you're looking to get a mortgage and use Bitcoin as a down payment. And a couple other Hang products. On, that's Canada. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Yes, for one, that is awesome. That is solving such a huge problem that probably a very small portion of the, the Canadian population share, but it's a problem nonetheless. And I, it, it is going to grow as more and more people get Bitcoin. So thank you for solving that problem for us. And it's really We're good trying. to know that that's a service that you're offering. But I did have a question. So you said that financing is available if um, someone wants to give a down payment or pay a down payment in, in Bitcoin. But right. who is the money coming in Canadian dollars? Like, and who's yeah. the money coming from? So it's actually like, it's literally like working with a regular mortgage broker. At the end of the day, you are going to be getting funded Canadian. It's just now we have people that are comfortable lending out to people who are involved in Bitcoin. So if it's an A lender, so an A lender would be the big five banks. 
there's ways around it in the sense that we would take that collateral of the Bitcoin that you're putting down and we would front the Canadian dollars for you. So at the end of the day, your big five bank still just sees Canadian dollars because our approach is, well, hold on. Let's say I had a million dollars in stock. I can take a hundred thousand of that million dollars in stocks and use it as a down payment. So why is this becoming such an issue for people to take Bitcoin? It's just people's brains fry the second you say Bitcoin and they just short circuit and they're like, no, we can't do it. Right. Right. And it's just such a frustrating yeah. thing, especially in Canada. So now we're in the person like our goal is to streamline everything. You have Bitcoin and you want to exchange it for something. We're going to help you do that because this has just gone ridiculous that in 2022, our financial system is still so ass backwards that you can't put Bitcoin as a down payment or show that you have equity. Uh, and I see Ledin, they're doing amazing things, but their products are like purely for Bitcoiners. Whereas what we're looking to do is offering this product to people who are just who have exposure to Bitcoin, but they still want to get a mortgage with a regular bank. If you don't qualify with a big, a big five, we can get you a B lender. And a B lender just means a little bit higher percentage of an interest rate, um, but maybe private money, uh, a little bit, not a bank, but a credit, you know, just different types of lenders. So we can get pretty much anybody financing now, as in, even if they're working with Bitcoin. Okay, that is great to know. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks so much. And well, you know, this is not... Ontario specific, right? Because we we live in Nova Scotia. Just mm. Canada wide right now. We're still working like the, the all the ins and outs. I'm an Ontario agent, so I know the process is a lot better for Ontario. Uh, but we're pretty much re- willing to go everywhere. I, but I think except Quebec. Okay, is that because Quebec has different laws? Uh, Quebec's just a little bit different. Like everything is a different book as opposed to be able to kind of operate all nine ten. And uh, I've just everything I've looked into is they're just more difficult to deal with. I want to have as little uh, engagement with the government as humanly possible on any front. And uh, with Quebec, it's just easier to just skip that whole place and focus on the rest of the country. Too bad. Uh, if there's any Quebecois listening to this, sorry. <laughs> but you can we're go to Nova Scotia. Look, we're looking for partners. We're always willing to work with other people that specialize in that area. But Quebec just seems so out of our wheelhouse. It just seems a lot better to uh, focus on the other areas right now. Okay, so if someone from Quebec is listening, they can get in touch with you and say, hey, let me let me see if I can meet you from Quebec and get something here. 1,000%. One thing I always say is, I, first of all, the Bitcoin pie is so big. It's so unbelievably big. And it's the scarcest asset in the world, and yet there's, it's still so humongous. So we are looking to work with anyone and everyone. If anyone's got a product, an idea, somebody that needs help getting off the ground, I understand how difficult it is to work with a Bitcoin company or start a Bitcoin company, uh, but we want to help facilitate everything in the ecosystem. So if you have, we're working on miners that are, look like furniture that can heat your home all the way to miners that are working on, like everything. If it's Bitcoin related, we're interested in listening to you talk and pitch. So any of your listeners want to reach out and tell me that they got an idea, we'd love to look into investing as well. Okay, that is awesome to hear. Uh, did you, are you okay there, Keegan? Yeah, yeah, I'm just hearing some rustling uh, up above me. And so I need to, I need to, to check that out, but God, we're okay. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jacob, your philosophies on Bitcoin. What helped you build them after Andreas? Oh, wow. Um, I would say people, people that really helped me, podcasting really helped was Andreas, Trace Mayer, 
which I know he did like a weird exit strategy, but like he was invaluable with some of the things he said. I'm not sure if you guys have uh, listened to his talks. He's Chase is the OG. Like he was on record probably when Bitcoin was at like $2 or 50 cents or something. And it's amazing listening to the things he was saying five, 10 years ago and how they're playing out right now. So I highly recommend everybody to look into Trace Mayer. Um, and then honestly, just Twitter, YouTube podcast. There's like a lot of investment ones. For me, it was the, the game theory and the philosophy that really just resonated. And then once you kind of understand the philosophical aspect, the money aspect is just kind of like, okay, this, this makes sense, right? You just kind of understand how flawed the current system is. And it was, and it's not like some, when I look at it from a perspective, I know a lot of Bitcoiners look at it like the world is out to get them and it's just this bad place and there's so much corruption. I think that's just human nature. And at the time, that was the best options they had available to them. And it's like, why not be able to print more money so we can give more stuff to people? And at the end of the day, we can benefit as well and take a little bit for ourselves. Um, but I just think as a society, we have to do better. We can't progress if we have a monetary system that's like this. And we're not going to progress until more people start understanding uh, what potential we have and what Bitcoin actually offers us. So there's so many resources. OneBitcoin.ca has a lot of resources that I that personally helped me that I've thrown on there. Uh, but if I had to pick one guy, I would say Trace Mayer that really like is an OG that some of the stuff he said was just uh, mind blown. And Michael Saylor. Michael Saylor is, um, he just really helped me out over the last couple of years, even more so. I thought I was bullish and I heard him talk and I was like, I'm not bullish enough. I'm not I, bullish I enough. Gotta, I, I know. I we thought the same Bitcoin. thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, again, I hear you and it almost feels like it was so easy for you to be convinced on the Bitcoin standard, uh, right? And listening to people, listening to podcasts, but we've talked to some people that have been in finance and it's actually, it's very entertaining to see one side of, of the people that work in banking saying like, yeah, man, this is, this is not going to last. Um, I am a Bitcoiner, but I'm working this job because I got to work this job. I got to pay the bills. And then their colleagues would be the ones that say, yeah, Bitcoin's, you know, it's just a fad. It's going to go away. It's, it's nothing. Like it's a huge Ponzi scheme. You, anyone who says Ponzi or pyramid scheme about Bitcoin, they just, they outright just don't understand Ponzi and pyramid schemes. And then obviously yeah. they don't understand Bitcoin, but it's so entertaining to see two people that are working the same kind of jobs have the exact different opinion. And, and yet both of them are working or both kinds or sides are working in, in the finance sector, but it's like one sees and one is not open to seeing, or at least that's the way that it looks from my perspective. And have you experienced that with some of the people that you've talked to? Every day, every single day. Like, so one thing that really helped me again to not be as frustrated was understanding the just ratio so it's like okay if i'm gonna talk to 10 people because i'm a numbers guy so for me numbers have to make sense i have to just kind of it'll help me understand what i'm expecting so if i'm like okay if i talk to 10 people maybe one or two are going to be open to bitcoin four of them are going to be just not interested at all and the other four to six are going to be like super aggressive against it so I, you, you just have to expect just through sheer numbers that a majority of people are going to be against this because it goes against everything that they've been taught it's just People can't comprehend it. They can't be like, oh, I was lied to, or I was misled, or everything I've known has been a farce. And that's what you understand, especially if you're somebody that went to university for finance, and then you realize that your entire education is kind of built on bullshit. It's going to, you know, you don't want to acknowledge it, right? You, you kind of want to like, yeah. like, no, no, they're wrong. 
there's a, I actually want to speak to that a little bit because that's a painful experience to to go through to admit that to yourself that you were a lied to or wrong. Um, like to, it takes actually like a, a big person or um, like a mature personality, so to speak, to to kind of admit that to yourself and then like take the next step to go ahead and and learn about this um, and kind of to start from scratch, right? Um, I forget who it was, some celebrity, it might've been like David Bowie or something like that. Um, like a quote by David Bowie is like one of the things that makes an artist so revolutionary is their ability to start from scratch. I thought, you know what, I think it actually might've been from Elon Musk. Um, cause like Elon Musk did PayPal, right. And then he started from scratch and risk, mm-hmm. risked everything and, uh, like did Tesla and, uh, and SpaceX with absolutely no guarantee. Um, and in a field that he knew absolutely nothing about. And I think the analogy is a little apt here just because uh, like the difference between Keynesian economics and Austrian economics are like actually quite night and day when you actually uh, flush out the, the implementation of it throughout society. Um, but the, the point here is that I've got a lot of empathy for the people who don't want to admit it to themselves like i understand how stuck they are because i've i've been there before with uh, with some of my own beliefs um including like thinking the canadian dollar is is a fine financial <laughs> asset for like years and years and years and like only recently it's like no 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 i really need to like put that put that belief down um i think Ruger's got some some kind of response i, I can see your brain just chugging there <laughs> No, I, I just remembered what um, Dottie or Dorothy, we, we interviewed her when we were in El Salvador and she gave a really, really perfect example um, of how the Canadian dollar it holds no value at all. Uh, and I just remember that story when you said that, oh, the Canadian dollar we thought was a, a, a financial asset that held some sort of value, but it, it's just in the long list of fiat that has really no backing or value. And Speaking of education, again, I remember it was last year, a year and a half ago, I did a lot of stories on Bitcoin and Instagram and someone uh, messaged me saying, hey, I want to talk about this. And I was more than happy to receive a response like that to one of my stories on Bitcoin. And she had done a master's in economics and we were talking about money because if you're talking about Bitcoin, you have to talk about money if you talk about fiat. And she's like, oh, uh, I didn't know that the Indian rupee was not backed by, by gold. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, it hasn't been backed by gold for mm. over 40 years. So like, why are you so surprised to learn about this? She's like, well, because I, I have my master's in, in finance or master's in economics. And in my textbook, I was told gold. And at that point, I was mind blown because this person is doing a master's um, in finance and is taught something, the information that has been deprecated for, for over 40 years. And uh, how many people are under the impression that their money has some sort of backing and are just lied to because either the curriculum hasn't changed or it hasn't been changed on purpose. It's insane. Oh, I, I, I definitely believe at this point it was it's by design that they don't actually want you to understand how the financial system works. Before it was like, why am I learning about a hypotenuse and <laughs> you know, not learning how to do taxes or where money it comes from and all this kind of stuff. Like it just never made sense to me. And I remember, cause again, I was, I was an economics nerd. Uh, I like numbers. And I remember when I was younger, I was like 14. I remember like distinctly thinking, I'm like, wow, these guys must be really smart. If they can do all this 
and keep inflation under 2%. Like, that's gotta be hard. Like, how did they calculate it? It was just, I was so mind blown, but I came from a place that they just knew how to do it. And now you look back and you're like, oh, it's bullshit. Like, they literally just make numbers up to make it look good. Like, if somebody actually looks around and tells me, oh, yeah, inflation around here is 4.7%, the only reason my friends are acknowledging is because the government came out and said it. But before they came out with those numbers, they're like, you know, they thought it was this crazy. It's like, how am I the one that's not being logical when you're looking at the money supply and it's just like pouring money into the system and yet the cost of goods is not going to go up? Like, it's the most simplistic perspective, like visual aspect to look at. And yet I was the conspiracy theorist. So I think it's by design. They don't want us to know. They don't want us to learn. And we can't force people to learn. That's the thing I've also learned is like, I don't sell Bitcoin. I'm not, I don't know here to convince you. If you don't believe Bitcoin has value, good luck. I highly recommend you read it or read into it. But like, I don't care. I personally don't care if you buy or sell or don't hold Bitcoin. I care if you're interested in Bitcoin. I want to give you all the proper answers. I want to help you as much as I possibly can, but I'm not soliciting anyone. Like it is a straight up, like they call us and we will help them. But if you're not interested, like, cause I know how annoying it got when I was first in Bitcoin going, you got to hear about Bitcoin. And we, we do seem like we're just pushy, pushy. And they think we're just trying to sell a scam to them, but we're just like, no, this is, this is help. This is a lifeline. And I have, I have a perspective on something that my family and friends need to understand. And at the end of the day, you, you can, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. So. Hopefully what's happening really, now is going to make people ask more questions. Really well said. Um, and I actually wanted to bring this up because I've heard, I remember reading it in some of your stories and the two schools of economics, if we were to bring them up, Keynesian and Austrian, which actually, can you define how you conceptualize both schools and which one you follow? So on each spectrum, you've got the Austrian economics and you got Keynesians. And on the Keynesian side, you have a little bit more of the MMT theory, people that do UBIs and all that kind of stuff. And then on closer to the Austrian side, you got the Chicago style, which is like middle of the range, Milton Friedman, Friedman-ish. Um, I'm, for me, when I read Austrian economics, like I read Hayek when I was 18 years old. So for me, I was like, oh, like this makes sense. Like this is understandable because one of the main things that Mises and Hayek and all those guys say is like, you can't make up for the variable of a human being, right? There's just so many variables you cannot calculate. So it's very, you know, economics is sort of a pseudoscience. And MMTers and, you know, uh, Keynesians just believe that. Here's the best way to explain it, actually. Forget everything I just said. You can either believe, <laughs> you can either believe that there's going to be an asset that's the sound money. So the, the gold is the sun and the U.S. dollar, the Canadian dollar is what's going to revolve around that sun, or vice versa, you can believe that the earth is the center of the universe, your, your currency is the center, and everybody else has to rotate around that. It's this perspective of, we have to understand that we need to, for a sound monetary policy, you have to have something that no human being has control over. So if we're gonna start yeah. working on our days, we have to acknowledge the fact that the day has 24 hours and it rotates around the sun. This is the metrics, let's build things around that. Whereas everybody else is just like, no, the sun does not, we don't revolve around the sun. The sun revolves around us. We're the center of the universe. And the government has this decree that can just sign something and make money. I think Keynesian economics is, is pseudoscience. I think it's bullshit. I think it's garbage. I think it's easy to sell. I think it's very palpable for politicians that, yes, printing money is not going to hurt anybody. Um, it shocks me that to this day, people still can't comprehend inflation. It's one of the most frustrating things. I think I'm more frustrated about that. Than people not understanding Bitcoin, right? And um, 
yeah, I, I'm, I tried listening to Stephanie Kellaway's book and it just triggered me. Uh, Kelton, Stephanie like, Kelton. Stephanie Kelton. And it was, it was just, it just triggered me. I was listening. It was like, I was getting angry on my walk because I'm like, politicians and people <laughs> are making decisions based on this lady's like garbage. Like she literally, one of her examples was just like, the government doesn't abide by regular policies. So forget the fact that, you know, you have to have more income than less expenses for households. The government doesn't need that. And that's their basis of the entire book. Like that was chapter one. It's just the government doesn't have to deal with the repercussions of, you know, poor monetary policy. So, but I, I, one thing I did realize was Austrian economics was not as popular as I thought it would have been. Cause I'm like, well, I've heard about it. So everybody else should hear about it. Uh, that wasn't the case. And uh, it's, it's criminally under uh, exposed with how many people actually understand Austrian economics or even know what it is. Well, I love the example that you gave. I think that that put everything into perspective because at a point we did think that everything revolved around us. And I think because of the egos that every one of us possesses, sometimes it still seems that way. Um, but explaining, explaining Keynesian and uh, Austrian economics with the two differences between like everything revolves for you versus things sometimes just exist. And even the sun for that matter, it has scarcity built into it. The sun is not going to go on forever. At some point, the life, the life that exists on earth is going to end and that it's just the finality. But I think that the scarcity aspect of it is just something that people that are believers of. Um, the Canadian School of Economics and MMT, it, that's just not something that uh, clicks with them or makes sense to them because we tend to have control over like a, a money supply. And yeah, like, what am I going off on, Keegan? Do you have anything to fill in? Or Jacob, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, the strange thing about us, uh, like thinking that the economic system revolves around the U.S. dollar is that we came from the, system, the previous system where like we, we actually did at one point in time agree that everything revolves around the sun. And, but then we went back to, or we went, the, like the thing that happened next is we decided that no, actually, you know what, despite things working out really well for us when we thought that the like uh, that the economics revolved around gold like that actually happened and worked very well in the 18th and 19th century we're going to go back to this other system that historically has failed every single time like that's what strikes me as most odd um and to, to jacob's point like it, it does seem like that's a design choice rather than like like i don't think that we stumbled into that haphazardly um it does seem like that was somewhat intentional which like I don't love to to say that and and to like put that out there as an idea because like I would like to give people the benefit of the doubt, um and like contextualize things in like from a historical perspective like we were in a war, at World War One and it was kind of necessary for us to print our like because our enemies were printing right. money right and that's a right. huge competitive edge and so like we also needed to print money in order to fund the war effort. But then it worked really well. <laughs> it worked too well. Too well. Um, and it's and it's like a a, um, a drug addict. Like the Keynesian economic way of uh, of printing money is often referred to. Um, the analogy is of uh, like a drug addict. They get one hit of something and then they need something more later because it felt so good to to uh, to give yourself that hit. And like in this example, a hit is like a, a huge monetary injection. Just a huge. And then we just kept on money. doing that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I, also at the end of the day, like 
can anyone be stoic enough to say, I'm not going to press print on this money printer? I think anyone and no. everyone that has the ability to just print money is going to do it because there's always going to be something you can use it for. And there's always going to be people in, in, in society calling for more money. And like, it's much easier. And again, politicians are just here to appease the mob. So if the mob wants more money for whatever thing they want to spend it on, I understand why a politician would be like, shit, why don't I just press this button and print it? What doesn't make sense to me in this whole system is number one, you can't possibly print with no, with no re, you know, thought process of the ramification. That's just stupid. Um, you can't print when there's nothing backing it. Like let's say you had some sort of gold or some sort of asset underlying. Yeah, you can print more, maybe to expand the monetary supply a little bit. But when you have no peg, when there is no measuring stick to reality, you have no way to measure economic transactions, right? Like people think their houses are 30% more expensive. It's like, no, your dollar is worth 30% less. Your dollar bought 30% less of the same house that it could have a year ago in the middle of a pandemic, right? So I understand why I'm not like one of those people that was just like, it's just, it's craziness. I, I understand the need for it but it's been so disconnected from reality over the last 50 years that we're witnessing the end, end stages of an experiment. Like that's the people go, Bitcoin's an experiment. Well, Bitcoin's a 12 year experiment. Fiat is a 50 year experiment. And I like Bitcoin's odds way more. Yeah. One of the things that I love about Bitcoin is um, just its ability to like pull back the curtain uh, with respect to like what, what you said, just with uh, like, if you were in the position where you had the ability to print money, would you? And I think like a very honest answer from most people is, uh, is yes. Like I if would, I'm, yeah. I, I asked myself that question just, just there when you, uh, when you asked it. And actually before then I was thinking about this and it's like, yeah, you know what? Like I would probably do that. I have greed in me. I'm, I like, there are definitely aspects of me that uh, like that make me a greedy person that I want to receive something for nothing. And like, that's a problem. And <laughs> like, I would be a dangerous person to have in charge of the money printer because I might be good at allocating the money that comes out, but I will, I will take some for myself for sure. Like that would be so tempting. Um, and I think Bitcoin is about making the collective agreement to, to just remove that power altogether from, from human beings' capabilities. Exactly. Like to me, when that was, that was an aha moment or a click moment for me when, uh, like when along the journey of learning about Bitcoin in general. Oh, 100%. Like that, that's the thing is, I don't think it's a, I think everybody, I think 99.9% .9 of human beings, if they're next to the money printer, they'll print it for whoever needs whatever they need, but then they're going to sprinkle a little bit for their friends and family, a little bit for yourself. Because why wouldn't you? It's a money printer. It prints money for you. Um, and I think that's the most important aspect of letting people understand that we need to remove the ability for it to be corrupted. If we're all operating on a system that can't be corrupted, we are all operating on a system that we know that down to the last stat, that's why you have to run your own node, that down to the last stat, there are no cheaters on this entire monetary platform. And just building from there gives everybody such a distinct advantage. And that's the craziest part where people think, like, it reminds me of um, when um, I think Abe Lincoln got shot. The way they thought they were helping him was they were draining him of blood. 
Because at that point in, in the medical profession, draining somebody of blood was something that they thought they were getting rid of the bad blood. It reminds me of the financial system that we have now, where people believe just injecting $7 trillion to the worldwide economy is just necessary to boost growth. It's not. And we're going to look back at this 20 years, 50 years, 100 years from now, and they're going to be like, oh my God, guys, they used to have pieces of paper that the government would stamp and be like, here you go, this is money. And everyone would go with it, right? So it's just a learning process for everybody. Do you have thoughts on what the government could have done um, if they weren't, if they decided that, okay, hey, this is crazy. We're not going to just inject capital into the Canadian economy because of COVID. Like, what is a solution that you think they could have used instead of what they did? I don't have any suggestions or ideas of what they could have done this time around because it was too far gone. And once the solution becomes just print more money and inject it, it's like, like Keegan said, it's a drug addict. Like you can't actually go back and be like, okay, that was then, now I'm going to do something different. Um, and again, it's a lot more difficult question to answer. I don't have the answers. But what I do know is as of a G7 country, we're the worst off financially. We have no gold as a country. We have absolutely no assets. All of our money is literally money we owe ourselves. We have one of the highest indebted nations, um, people in the nation. There's people that have more credit card debt and mortgage debt than anywhere else. So our financial situation is dire. I don't know what we could have done differently for COVID. Um, I just, I wouldn't have done the things that they had done prior, right? Right. Um, going forward, I think we have two paths. Uh, I, I think, I forget who it was. Somebody said a really good comment where it's just like broke countries are usually the ones that end up going through communism or fascism because broke people are easier to control. And that made a lot of sense to me. Like that was like, okay, I understand because people get frustrated, they get angry with the system and they think that this politician is going to save them. So we're on the precipice of being an amazing first world country, the G7 nation. The actions that are being taken now is showing us that we're heading down a fascist, dictator, dictatorial, communist, whatever you want to call it, but not a free people. Or our government can start looking and uh, being like the American politicians who are starting to understand what Bitcoin does and start being a little bit more friendly towards Bitcoin. And we have such a huge advantage with some of the things that we already have in play that that'll save us from going down that path. But I think it's not a clear-cut answer of where we're headed. But those are the two options that we've got, in my opinion. Right on. And like uh, you said this earlier, too, with respect to the volatility in real estate since the pandemic began. And um, I I never really had enough information to make sense of why when everyone was locked in, like what made, at least in Halifax, um, the prices be like shoot up 30 percent, 40 percent even and how people could even afford paying double the amount of mm -hmm. um, of of not down payment, but asking double and getting paid double too. Like there was competition um, when there were lots of, what do they call deals on, on some of offers. Yeah, multiple offers. And the highest offer would be $150,000 above asking or sometimes 500,000. It's like, where are people getting all of this money from in the middle of a pandemic? Do you have an answer to that? So yeah, there, it's a variety of things. So number one, we have a very healthy immigration rate. So the goal of the Liberal government right now is to bring in 1.4 million new landed immigrants over the next three years. I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. In my opinion, it's necessary for our country to continue to grow. We have such a declining population growth that we need immigration to actually jumpstart us and to actually have new blood coming in 
um, for the country. So it's a positive. However, when you take a look at the number of immigrants landing, then you couple that with the fact that at every level of the government in Canada, especially where I'm at, they fight you on development. When you come out with them with a development opportunity, they make you feel like you're doing them a disservice by trying to develop land. It is a very unhealthy dynamic. Um, they treat the developers and the builders and the ones who are spending the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars fixing these areas up as if the government is doing them a favor. So we have pushback at municipal level, provincial level, federal level. So supply is a huge issue as well, in addition to the fact that we have population growth. And then the beautiful trifecta is the fact that we have unbelievably artificially low cheap mortgage rates. So the banks, when you're buying a house and you're putting less than 20% down, CMHC is insuring that. CMHC is a government entity. So when the bank understands that the government is insuring this mortgage, even though you're putting less money down, technically for them, it's less risk involved. And so they're going to just give you the mortgage. Appraisals are a thing of the past. Back in the day, I remember I used to be nervous when a house was sub like, I wonder if it's going to appraise. These days, the appraisers don't know what they're looking at. You got one house that sold for a million, the next day 1.1. They're just stamping off on them. So it's a combination of all three. Um, but the artificially cheap mortgage rates are the catalyst for sure. Because the bank isn't like, again, I sold, uh, one of my good friends bought a house recently, and I was involved in the process. And so they're buying this house. The house is close to 1.5 million. Their buyers are putting 300,000 of their hard-earned dollars and more than likely equity from the previous house they bought. So it's the first time. All right. Well, internet going out happens sometimes to the best of our internet. But you were at uh, telling us about the house that a good friend of yours uh, bought for 1.5 million and something about $500,000. Right. So the point where I was trying to make there was the Canadians are giving their hard-earned dollars, they're saving their money, their equity they've made, whatever they've done, and they're putting into this. It's not the bank isn't like giving them their own $1 million remainder for a mortgage. They're literally creating it out of thin air. So even though everyone's get cheap mortgage rates, it's just you're signing a contract for 25 years to pay this mortgage. And so it's a combination of population growth, cheap interest rates, uh, lack of supply, and all of this is turning into a perfect storm of uh, property prices that are going to continue to go up. And again, when you're dealing with hyperinflation and inflationary ecosystem, asset values tend to skyrocket a lot more, and then everything else kind of starts catching up with it as well. When do you think it's going to come crashing down, though? Because all of this just seems like, um, uh, like what's the word that I'm looking for? An illusion. A house of cards. An illusion. A house of cards and illusion of asset prices rising and like what do you think is going to happen next because what about the people that have just okay so fixed rate mortgages such a dangerous thing to have um you have used for buying a house right now i think like what's your opinion on that um i've always recommended variable because a i don't think they can do anything with so what you guys said illusion house of cards it's very correct it's a mass illusion but then again so is the u.s dollar the U.S. dollar is a mass illusion that everyone is participating in. And I think in Canada, our real estate market is such a significant portion of uh, our GDP that the mass illusion is going to continue for quite a while longer, as well as the fact that we're still a reputable country somewhat, and it's still a destination for a lot of people to land here. So we still have a lot of people that have interest in coming to Canada, and as long as they're willing to pay the money to buy the real estate, 
the people who are benefiting are the boomers that have owned real estate and they're just getting richer and richer. So they're not going to complain. So politicians are in a tough spot of either you reel in property prices and then you're the one that's getting blamed for all the crashes and, you know, property values coming down or you keep it going and ride the gravy train. But, but oh man, like what's going to happen when it all comes crashing down and how does one prepare for something like that? Buy Bitcoin. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> <Yes>. going to say. <laughs> that, that's literally it. Like, and that's what I'm trying to educate my clients. And when I deal with them, I go, guys, like I understand primary residence. I understand the need to own your own home. You don't want to have an asshole landlord telling you you can't have a dog or you can't paint or you can't do renovations. I get the ability to want to do the things you want to do, but as an investor, I haven't invested in real estate in years now because it's just nothing is lucrative enough on the long term, and I'd rather buy Bitcoin with it. And I'm teaching all my investor clients and all my landlord friends to either buy Bitcoin, like sell your real estate and buy Bitcoin, which is blasphemy for my real estate friends. Like they can't stand it when I say that. Or utilize your investment properties to pop a miner or two. Mine Bitcoin using your investment property, and at least you can have the tax benefit. So there's options, but you need to involve yourself in Bitcoin one way or another to protect yourself because one day shit's going to hit the fan and you're going to wish you had Bitcoin. Yeah, that was the answer that both you and I like had in mind for from Rigachi's question. And I just want to like zoom in on that for a second because having any amount of Bitcoin whatsoever is infinitely better than having zero. Um, like, so even if you buy Amen. 50 bucks, just $50, just a hundred bucks, whatever it might be. Like the fact that you have any at all is like the, a, a massive step forward for your, uh, financial literacy, uh, for the, your portfolio. And it's often the trigger I find like when I'm coaching people getting into Bitcoin, um, like for some people, like they're in a span of two or three months, right? Like I introduce them to it and they're like, they're totally sold in two or three months. But for other people, it's like three years and mm -hmm. it takes them seeing $10 to go to a hundred dollars, go back down to 50, go up to 150. Like, you know what I mean? It takes seeing that $10 right. grow and shrink, but just generally grow before they like put it all together. Um, and, and it just starts with having more than zero. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. That's why I always say like, my goal is to j get people off zero and then let them yeah. go through their own processes and their own journey. And at the end of the day, they are going to end up buying more Bitcoin because they're going to understand they're going to learn. Right. But the goal yeah. is you have to get off zero at this point. Like the thing I say to trigger financial people all the time is, if you don't own zero uh, Bitcoin in 2022, you're financially negligent and you should not be advising any clients. And once you say that, they <laughs> just, you just don't advice. know. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, you're, like you're if I... even if you don't agree with Bitcoin, even if you think it's the stupidest thing, if I showed you an asset that has yeah. grown parabolically advancing hundred percent a year for 12 years straight, including the years that had an 80% drawdown and you're telling me you don't want 1% exposure, you're negligent and I don't want you representing me. And you shouldn't be managing other people's or, money. Or if you can't tell me why that's happening, like give me a logical, clear explanation, articulate explanation as to why that's happening. Like if I'm coming to you because you're my financial advisor, I, even if I don't intend on investing in that asset, I'm asking you questions about how it works and why it works the way it does. And if you can't answer my questions about why Tesla stock just did well, 
um, like my faith in your ability to evaluate my investments um, and allocate my money is is significantly less than when like than than what it should be. Like that's you're supposed to be a financial professional, and this new form of money that's obviously not going away is is here. And if you tell me it's a scam one more time, I'm I'm yeah. leaving. <laughs> yep. Well, I I actually wrote a open letter to uh, a professor. He's a professor at um, one of these nice universities. He's got a nice <laughs> education, very nice uh, designation, all that kind of stuff. And he wrote an article about why Bitcoin is a Ponzi. And I, I wrote a response back to him. And the thing is, they've never been able to actually have dialogue. Like they, I, I, op- I responded, open letter to a finance professor. I addressed it directly to him. I answered every single point that he had made, 90% of which were just flat out lies. And they've never wanted to actually engage and have an open dialogue. And that's just because they're so entrenched in their vision of what the world is, what they've been saying, what they've been repeating over and over again. And um, at the end of the day, it's no longer a perspective of we need to convince them. It's just, okay, if you're not able to see what this is, or even see that something interesting, worthwhile looking into, and you're going to just say Ponzi, Tulip Ball, the same shit for 12 years plus, we don't have anything to talk about. I wish you the best of luck. Keep watching CNN and get your financial news from there and uh, go buy mutual funds. I don't know what to tell people at this point. Like, uh, no, you should you should go buy a GIC, actually. You yeah, should, you GIC should go get a bond. Yeah, a really good uh, investment vehicle, exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I think this is a fantastic time for you to tell our audience more about OneBitcoin.ca. After telling, after Keegan says why, what, do you want to say something? No, just like curb our sarcasm. Like we got, like Jacob, Jacob and I, we're, we're getting too pessimistic here and we need yeah. to be reeled back <laughs> in and put back on track. And you're you're typically a, a good voice of optimism and reason. No. So. No, no, no. Well, hang on. No. So on... <laughs> no, no. I think the sarcasm is warranted because I remember connecting with this one person on LinkedIn and he sold GICs. And uh, like, I was curious to know one, why he connected with me because my tagline on LinkedIn is Bitcoin is money. Ask me why. Um, and I, I got into this habit of um, whenever someone I didn't know connected with me, asking them, hey, you know, what, what, like, what do you want from me in a nicer way? So he's like, oh yeah, I sell, uh, I sell GICs and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, and I started asking him some questions purely out of curiosity and uh, curbing my criticism of, of the yield that you would get on GICs. And like the answers that I got from him were so unenthusiastic um, and so lacking information or knowledge. You know, it was kind of like a sales pitch that you have scripted in front of your screen and you want to sell someone something and that's where it ends. There's the, like, I didn't sense any passion or any um, any curiosity or any drive for knowing what they're selling and like drive for, you know, finding another asset that is sounder than Jesus or finding holes in sending or in finding holes in selling what they're selling as well. So, you know, their sarcasm, I think, is warranted because I think that getting a government job seems to be the most secure way to um, for your future, um, especially with pension plans that you get when you work for the government. And I think because of that, uh, like, I think this was a government employee, but don't quote me on that. But like, I just made the connection that when your future is sorted out because of a job that you get from someone that dictates how much, how well you're taken care of in the future, you don't really care what you're selling. 
or you don't really care about um, like what you're doing because you kind of have this assurance. Like it's kind of like getting um, tenureship or, or becoming a tenured professor where if you're in year two and you have a tenure tenure, you don't really care about how you perform and how you teach your students because you're like, oh, well, like even if I'm a shitty teacher, I'm still going to keep this job. And mm -hmm. I, I will put a disclaimer here. It's not that all professors that have a tenure behave this way or this is, I'm not, this is I'm not generalizing all government employees. This is just from my experience. I've seen that when people have a, a satisfied or quote unquote guaranteed return um, uh, from their job, um, like a projected return or whatever, they, they tend to care less. So the sarcasm is great. <laughs> But my thing is, I, and again, I wrote a blog yesterday that my partner reread. He's giving me some pointers. And he's like, you're coming across as very sarcastic. And he toned it down. And it's like, I have no other emotion left other than sarcasm. Because if the sarcasm wasn't there, I'd just be yelling. And I'd just be angry and be like, what don't you see? So it's like, my only way of being able to deal with the circumstances is just responding sarcastically. Like, again, to my nurse friend, it's just like, you guys... How did you, you, I'm not even a big union guy, and yet I understand the need for a union for particular things. How did your union pass a deal that prevents you from getting a 1%, more than 1% raise on an annual basis? In the middle of the pandemic, when the nurses are the backbone of our healthcare system, and they're limiting your raises now. So it's just like, you're telling me Bitcoin's a scam. No, your current situation is a scam. Like, look at that first, and then let's talk about Bitcoin if you're actually willing to actually learn but I, I don't debate people anymore. I, I genuinely, it's just like, I used to get into it with my friends, financial people, lawyers. Like, I got friends in different industries. And I'm at a point now where it's like, you can come to me if you want to learn more, but you got to be coming with an open mind. If you're coming from a perspective of Ponzi tulip bulb, you're not going to make it. Like, you're just, I can't tell you anything else. You just, if you're still thinking Ponzi, Ponzi tulip bulb in 2022, when we've had 20 plus mining companies on a publicly traded stock exchange when you got fidelity that's got trillions of dollars under management that has a desk specifically for bitcoin when you see all these things happening we see el salvador uh taking it on as legal tender and somebody goes well it's a small country it's just the cognitive dissonance is astounding and if i get too caught up in it it frustrates me so i can only respond in have a great day or sarcasm i'm, I'm doing my best but like i can't keep going in circles with these guys because it's extremely frustrating because they don't, they don't debate in good faith. They just have a point to prove and they're just gonna keep parroting the exact same stuff. Right on, so well, for all of our listeners that are resonating with, uh, with what you're saying and especially with the sarcasm and the, the frustration face, what can you tell them about what they will find when they come to OneBitcoin? Um, OneBitcoin.ca right now uh, is a great onboarding for people who have no idea what Bitcoin is. They're the ones that are actually looking to maybe have some questions answered. So it's for people who have heard about Bitcoin, might not know really what it is. We connect to a lot of resources. Our goal is to continuously add a bunch of more services over the coming years. We've got a great roadmap. Right now, we help people buy and sell. We help with corporations buying and selling Bitcoin. Uh, we just got approval this week. Um, to actually do our exempt, exempt market dealership. So now if you want to buy Bitcoin through your RRSP or TFSA, OneBitcoin.ca uh, can help you with that as well. Now I am a, uh, like I said, a maximalist from the beginning. So I recommend Bitcoin in your possession, on your node, uh, you know, taking possession of everything yourself. However, there are people that have the tax abilities, you know, the space in their um, RRSPs and TFSA to take advantage of it. And I feel like Bitcoin was really created for an account like that. So 
Uh, we've got a bunch of services, as I mentioned earlier, the, you know, buy real estate, sell real estate, get your financing, anything you want to do, or you want to trade your Bitcoin to buy something, we want to help you do it as well. So we have a lot more stuff coming down the road. If anyone wants to contact okay. me, sold by Jacob and uh, onebitcoin.ca. Right on. And the thing that you said about uh, being able to get a mortgage through you, is that already out or when is that coming out? Uh, right now, it's launched. We haven't advertised it. I think the website, the page is public, and we're working on people with people on a deal by deal basis just to kind of work on our systems. Once we've got like a handful of people under our belt that we kind of worked out the kinks, we're going to be rolling it out nationwide. Right on. Well, everybody listening, you know where to find Jacob. There's one Bitcoin.ca where you can find him to buy Bitcoin, and it's sold by Jacob on Instagram. And is it sold by Jacob on Twitter as well? It's on Twitter as well, yeah. Okay, right on. Well, do you have any parting thoughts for our audience? Uh, no, I, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I, most of your crowd is obviously going to be pro Bitcoin at this point. Um, it's just keep learning about it. No matter how much you think you know about Bitcoin, you are just peeling the layers of the onion. And um, it's an exciting journey. And if anybody's ever got questions or anything like that, I'm always available to discuss. I love talking Bitcoin, love talking shop. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh yeah, yeah oh my gosh, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Stay tuned.